Rob, when you, you know, it's like the main compound walking from ops all the way up to program C or down to six, whatever it might be. If you're there when other folks are, you know, maybe it's just, just after uh, accounts cleared. So people are screwing around or just getting ready for a, for a meal. And somebody goes, somebody shouts out your name because they're in the class and you're trying to recognize them in their blue and just who, who is that? And they'll come up and you get a chance to visit with them and you, you, you learn about their families. You learn about their families. Now there's a phrase that's used that I think is so true, and but it's probably overused. People don't care how much you know about the Bible until they know how much you care about them. It is the mission of the Tennessee Department of Correction to enhance public safety for the citizens of our great state. Utilizing evidence-based programming combined with a structured environment that focuses on accountability and responsibility, we work to prepare offenders under our supervision for a successful re-entry as productive, law-abiding citizens. Recidivism and return rates over the last couple of years have been trending down, signaling our strategies are working. We credit our 6,000-plus officers and staff for these milestones, whose dedicated efforts are the driving force and primary reason for TDOC's success. But these correctional professionals, as great as they are, do get a little help throughout the week. You see, we at the Tennessee Department of Correction have always acknowledged that we can't do it all on our own, that it takes help. It takes members from our communities volunteering their time to come into our facilities and our field offices working with our offenders. In this episode of TDOC's The Mission, we're going to briefly explore the world of TDOC's volunteers. Every week, over 1,000 services are coordinated across the state by some 2,000 volunteers. These services generally require additional help, and as many as 8,000 volunteers total are involved in those various services throughout the week. Each volunteer generally logs two to four hours a week, resulting in a cumulative of 16,000 plus hours spent working with our offender population. That's incredible. And we're so thankful and grateful for these men and women who are so giving of their time and efforts. By serving as mentors, tutors, and facilitators of not only religious programming, but programs related to basic literacy, job training, and family counseling, they are playing a very important role in our rehabilitation and reentry efforts. When you look at the time and effort that goes into these programs, the time that is spent working and organizing and planning, let alone the time that goes into the actual teaching of them, it's incredible and very indicative of the selflessness that is so well known amongst Tennesseans, leading to the nickname, the volunteer state. But what possesses a person to be so kind and so giving? And why choose state offenders to donate that time and energy to? I look at those numbers and wonder why, simply because I feel it's necessary to understand the why in an effort to truly appreciate the work that they're donating to us. So I started by sitting down and speaking with Mr. Marshall Danby, a volunteer at the Northeast Correctional Complex. He's the executive director for New Life Behavior Ministries and has been volunteering at NECX for almost 10 years now. So let's start with how you ended up in Northeast Tennessee and why you got involved with prison ministry and began volunteering at the Northeast Correctional Complex. Um, 
I retired in 2004 from the oil field. I spent much of my time in the international business. And uh, when we retired, my wife and I were living in Houston, Texas, and uh, been going to church, and uh, but not really doing any outreach of any any magnitude whatsoever. And a friend at church said, hey, why don't you come join us with prison ministry? And I told him I have absolutely no desire in doing that, none whatsoever. And he said, okay. About a month later, he came back and said, look, we think you could really help us out. Why don't you give it a try? And I said, no, thanks. About two months later, he came and he had a sheet of paper and it was an application. He said, look, they're having uh, orientation the Texas Department of Criminal Justice up at uh, Jasper this weekend. Why don't you go up there and just see what it is? So we went up there really just to spend some time in East Texas in the spring. But there was something about that orientation. I thought, well, I'll just go look and see what happens. And uh, that was in uh, the spring of 2007. And I've been involved with prison ministry ever since. And when my wife and I decided we were going to move to Tennessee, fully retired. And uh, she was born and raised in Northwest Tennessee. But we thought East Tennessee with the mountains would be better. And we were very interested in continuing the prison ministry. And so one of our criteria, which the real estate agent found a little perplexing was after we talked about hospitalization, church, and, and you know, various uh, activities, is there a prison nearby? Well, I knew from looking on the maps and, and work that I'd done that there were a couple of, of units. And so we ended up uh, in Rome Mountain, Tennessee, and that's where we live to this day. And Lord willing, that's where we'll spend the rest of our life. So I called some folks at, uh, I called the head of New Life Behavior Ministries in Corpus Christi, Buck Griffith. And uh, Buck's been doing this now for, golly, I don't know, approaching 50 years. Uh, and told him, hey, we, we didn't make the move to Tennessee looking on doing this. Do you know anybody in this area? And he said, no, we don't have anybody in that area. Call Nashville. So I called Nashville to talk with two men that I met at a, a jail and prison ministry workshop, an annual workshop that we have, um, Ron Goodman and Thomas Snow. And, that, and what they were doing at that time became Tennessee Prison Outreach Ministry. They just changed the name just a little bit. And they hadn't been in Northeast, but they were they were having New Life Behavior Ministries um, in the in Central Tennessee, and it was being done in the West. So I called up to Mountains. I went to, I called Carter County, and they said, you need to talk to Mountain City. So I went out, I called Mountain City and got an appointment. And at that time, um, Doc Taylor was the head of education. And remember her, and she uh, she asked quite a few questions, and then she said, "Well, look, uh, she set an appointment for the next week. She said, bring your bring your data, bring bring everything you've got, and we'll sit and talk about it." Now, at that time, Rob, we didn't have these workbooks the way they are. We had everything that was in a basically an electronic, but we would print lesson, take this lesson in this week, and one that we leave for the guys for the next week. It wasn't in workbook form yet. That happened a couple of years later. So this is the spring of 2009. And so she took all the data, asked a lot of questions, and uh, then she she had requests uh, for units in Central and West Tennessee saying, hey, do you use this? What do you think about it? How does it work? 
and it was all favorable. So then she said, okay. And she said, where do you want to, where do you want to do this? And I said, well, where do you need it? She says, well, we could use it both places, but we really need more programs in Carter County. So let's start there. And, you know, and that, uh, Carter County unit's only seven miles from our house. So that's like, wow, this is great. Because <laughs> we used to have to drive, oh, it was about 55 miles to get up to the Gory unit in Huntsville. So I thought, wow, this is a good sign. So, and she told me to visit with uh, uh, Ms. Ms. Jackie Barnett and, and get with her relative to time slots to work there. So she helped us with that. And uh, we started uh, in June of 2009 with Christians Against Substance Abuse. And uh, it was it was good. Our first class, we had uh, 18 men sign up for it. And it's just continued. And in the thought process, I view this much like international business. You, you have to make sure that you can you've demonstrated continuity before you try you try to do something else. So for three and a half years, the only thing we did was teach CASA. Well, those men in Carter County, as you well know, they a lot of them had to go back up to Mountain City for this course or that course. So the word started spreading. And then in 2012, we started uh, basically a, a one-day, all-day seminar referred to as R&R, Reconciled and Renewed. Again, faith-based life skill. And uh, over that time, between late 2009 and onward, um, Chaplain Maurice Widener became the chaplain. Chaplain Kelly had, had, uh, had uh, I, I think he relocated. Not, no, he didn't relocate. I think it was just a reassignment. He was helping yeah. in education. Mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. So uh, he talked, uh, worked with Chaplain Widener to get this, to get started. And we've continued ever since 2012 to have our R&R &R seminars. And this year, 2018, it's the first time we've had one in Carter County, Maine Annex, and the Maine Compound all in the same year. So we're happy about that. And that then let us start to do other things. We moved to worship services. We, we moved to uh, offering anger management, managing my anger. And uh, we've also offered uh, uh, attitudes and behavior. So how many hours are you spending at NECX interacting and working with TDOC offenders? And how much? Right now our time slots are, we, we teach, uh, we have a six to eight uh, time slot on the main compound program C building. But we go up there two hours early. And we do that because we meet with three three teachers' aides and two men that are actually facilitators for uh, new life behavior. You're coming up on 10 years yeah. doing this. Yeah. How many, if you had to put a number, how many offenders do you think you've worked with? Well, with this last class that graduated, um, we've had, in the, just in the classroom, we've had just over 600 and just over 500 have graduated, 80, 83%, I think. So that's 600. Um, now, 
actually you would deduce, you would reduce that because some of them taking multiple classes. And then in the, uh, let me see, we've had about, let's see, 100, 200, 300, we've had about 400 in the r and seminars. We're now using the VG venue, which lets us handle up. We don't, we don't want to go over 50 because once you, you have more than six tables and you have more than uh, nine or 10 in the table, it's, it's, it's not manageable. It's not interactive. And everything that we do, we want to be interactive. One of the tenets, I'll come back to you. I haven't forgotten your question. One of our tenets is when you're going through this course and you're going through it, it it's basic data. It's really good for what it's intended. The composition of the class may say, spend more time on this section of that lesson than the rest because this is, this is the questions that they have. So we encourage questions. We, we really encourage the interacting, interaction. That's how they're going to learn because that's what's really um, foremost in their mind. So let's see. If we did, if we figured out, I don't know, say 600, 400 there, 1,000, maybe there's redundancy that makes brings it down to seven, 750. And then worship services, um, that can be anywhere from six to 20, depending on whether a main compound or, mm-hmm. or Carter County. So I really don't, I don't have a number for you, but uh, a lot. How does it feel or how does it make you feel when you see these lessons sink in and you witness the personal growth that's experienced by the offenders in your programs? Um, well, I think we can break it, break it down and it's answered different, different ways. From a spiritual standpoint, a professional standpoint, and then just from a personal standpoint. Now, on the spiritual standpoint, uh, we want folks to, to live an abundant life here on earth and to have that abundant life in heaven. We're charged with making disciples. We're, ha- we're happy and pleased when that happens, right? From a professional standpoint, you'd like to say, okay, this, this is a good thing. There's a lot of benefits from it. And the folks that will follow this, we see them starting to enjoy benefits. To your point of a few minutes ago, you see less write-ups, right? Now, maybe maybe there's somebody that really hasn't had a lot of write-ups, and and they just and they're they're good from that standpoint, but they're not they're not happy. This anger bug has been around so long; it's caused bitterness, resentment, and so they're walking around with a chip on their shoulder and angry about the world. And you can see that change. And, and we will hear in, in a class, one inmate say something about another inmate that he's seen him change. He didn't like working with him on the line when he first got here. He was angry. He was foul mouthed, And he's changed. Well, that's, that's, you're being told that by a third party in another, another arena that we're not even exposed to. And the, and, the, and the other men that are in the class recognize that. And they say, hmm. So that from that standpoint, your tickle, personal standpoint, um, it's satisfying. It's very satisfying. Uh, and this may be overused, Rob, and I don't mean it to be, but it's true. It's encouraging, it's frustrating, and it's rewarding all at the same time. One of the things that, that we put a lot of stock in is letters or cards that we get from family members and comments that we hear from COs. To us, 
that's a metric and probably metrics not the right word that's a point that we take and we, we attach a lot to that that's meaningful that's substance when somebody's attitude changes it's noticeable good or bad that the direction is noticeable and i think one of the things that's very uplifting and encouraging is and this happened uh, just uh a week ago Sunday, uh, coming out of one of the units, um, one of the uh, COs on the way out said, there were several of us walking out, thank you all for what you do. And and that's meaningful because it can make a difference. And, uh, you know, we see the evidence in recidivism rates from those that have been through a faith-based life skill class or door or some, some places have, you know, uh, honor dorms, or uh, or basically a faith dorm. But I've enjoyed it, and it's been fun. And and I think it, it just sounds like a paradox, but it's fun, it's frustrating, and it's rewarding all at the same time. Because sometimes when you see someone that's really capable, and they're released, and you hear good news. And 18 months later, they walk back through a door for one of the classes or one of the seminars and your heart breaks. Um, but I think there's some good guidance in the, in the uh, Tennessee Department of Corrections volunteer manual, training manual. You want to help everybody and you'd like to help all of them, but you've got to recognize that you can only do things one person at a time. And there's going to be some that, for whatever reason, they choose not to stick with it. And you just pray that the next time they will. What is is your goal? What is the goal of New Life Behavior Ministries in coming in and ministering and teaching and working with this offender mm -hmm. population? Um, what do you ultimately hope to achieve? Um there, there's, we'll tell them when they come into the CASA class, there's three things that we want to accomplish. First of all, everybody has an addiction. Now, most of the addictions that the general population has is behavior, right? But the group that we're talking to, incarcerated, probably have a chemical or, or a very strong non-chemical gambling, sex, uh, so we want you to get off and stay off that, whatever it is, get off and stay off. You're incarcerated. We want you to get out and stay out. And third, we want you to find, rediscover, or strengthen your walk with God. And if you will do those in reverse order, you're going to find it'll go quicker. One of the things that's helped, it took us several years to get any volunteers to help. And then then after about, oh, I guess it was about year five or year six, I said, we've got to get more preachers involved because my, I'm, I'm not trained. You know, I've studied a lot, you know, especially after I got off the prodigal son, but I'm not a preacher. I, and I, and I don't have a, I don't have a quick mind for memorizing verses, you know, and, and so I would labor with that. And I thought, man, if we can get some of the preachers 
to participate with that now and be willing to help us when somebody asks a, a question. And one of the things that we really like is most of the questions that are now being asked spiritually are so I can make the proper decision on this situation I'm faced with and how do I do it in real life? And I think, and so that's happened. And now now we have some that are, and these, these preachers, are, they, they, they've raised the bar of the prison ministry for us and they've, they've helped all of us to grow and we're seeing more get done quicker. Uh, and when you see a man in a classroom that's 40 some years old and he's got a certain section in this particular whatever class you're taking and he's talking about this is what can happen if you don't do things properly and then you have to make these decisions and these decisions are tough and you have them start crying in front of 30 other men and the rest of the men and I think this is a credit to every one of them very softly they'll say take take your time Sam take your time Sam Nobody was pushing. But they're emptying their heart. And when they do that, that godly sorrow, there's that somebody is gonna they're, they're gonna grow. They are gonna grow and it's gonna be positive growth. I imagine that that you're very stable in your personal life and professional life. Mm -hmm. So basically you could have decided to do anything when it comes to outreach. You could have chosen any demographic, abused women, homeless folks, veterans. Mm -hmm. You chose prison ministry. Mm -hmm. Why? Of all the things. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, you know, as I reflect back on that, because I'm not sure why I did it at the time, the thought process. But as I reflect back on it, you know, I can think of some times when uh, that old statement there, but for the grace of God goes I. Um, and God's right. Sometimes you, you, you do want to forget the, the sins of your youth. I was raised uh, going to church with my parents when I was uh, when I went on to college and when I graduated, uh, I got a degree, but I also got a degree in a prodigal son. So I drifted away because I had a job, I had money, I had transportation, I had a girlfriend, I had an apartment, and uh, drifted. And I had some things that brought me back to reality. So from that time on, when I met my wife, uh, had had gotten back on a spiritual life and that continued but I still up until the time that uh, my friend John Ward really just kept asking about prison ministry I really hadn't done any outreach of any magnitude whatsoever and it was just something that uh, you know whatever you want to call it divine intervention my background of international meeting different cultures and different situations and being able to say, okay, we can cope with this. We'll be patient about that. It just seemed to mesh. All right. And I think about some of that. The other thing I, I thought about is the, the work I did in the oil field internationally. Um, you see some parts of the world that uh, are, are really poverty stricken. So they're kind of in that, that prison. That's a prison. And, uh, and, and that'll, that'll tug at your heart. So coming back and, and I'm thinking about things, I'm thinking about international ministry work and things, things such as that. And because my wife and I, we like to travel and uh, we enjoy that. And I, then I started watching some of these when they first came out, these um, 
extended stay, you know, lockup and things like that. And I was looking at some of that and I thought, hmm. It just caused me to think about it. And uh, then there was one that there were some folks that were coming in and going out, coming in and going out. Thinking, man, that that would, you know, that would not be good. So Rob, I just got got to thinking, uh, I had I really had no interest in it. And then when John started bugging me about it, I think I was really fearful that I would say yes and like it. So I was saying, <laughs> no, no, no. Um, and then I, I, I enjoy, like I said, we enjoy traveling, seeing different things. And I thought, well, let's try it. One of the things that's probably been the biggest thing for me personally, from a spiritual standpoint is inmates have time and they're apt to listen and they're apt to study. And when they do that, they're going to cause you to pick up your game. And that, and so I, maybe some of it was, this is a good way for me to make up for time as a prodigal son where I wasted some of this time and talent and uh, no special gift. You know, it's, it's just, we all have different gifts. Doesn't make one right, one wrong, or one better and one worse. They're just different. So those things have all tied together and it's, and it's become really enjoyable. So and then there's that frustrating part that comes along when, when you see something and you think, oh man, how did, what? Yeah, yeah, oh, oh, I just want to grab him and shake him. You know? But uh, I don't know. It's, I'm very comfortable with it now. And now uh, the thing that I'd like to see happen is more and more people realize that <clears throat> helping someone in prison is going to help in you it's going to help you and it's going to help your congregation. It's going to help them. Maybe they just don't even think about them. And we had a, once a year, we give an update on prison ministry. And this last one that we gave, instead of showing just pictures of a class and this and that, we took a transition time of a man who was in for a minimum of 25 years, not eligible for parole after 25 years. And he came to our class and he classes, came to worship services, came to R&R &R seminars, did everything right. Had gone years without a write-up. And he got out first time he went up for parole. And now he's a T-POM. So instead of just our standard, these are the numbers, these are some pictures, but we, we showed how he went from being inmate one, two, three, four, five, six, to becoming John Smith, contributing citizen. So what advice would you give to those who are just getting started or who are interested in getting started with prison ministry or volunteer work within TDOC? But you know, the thing is all of this, it's a support network. No one person can do this. It's impossible. Uh, and the thing that I that I think is is great is with these, you know, I said to you know fifteen volunteers and seven different congregations right now, but actually the volunteers have jumped by seven because the women got involved. Our women at, at uh, our congregation got involved with the DRC here on a class once a week. Women teaching women. There's time when men need to talk to men and women need to talk to women. 
And with the right guidance, you know, it, it, it works well. I think from one of the balance standpoints that we try to do is while it's faith-based and life skill, at the end of the day, the Bible is the operational manual. The workbook is this is how the rubber meets the road. But if you don't give the tools to where they can apply it in real life, it's not going to take. So you learn pretty quick that when you're in a class, whatever it is, anger management, attitudes and behavior, Christians against substance abuse, you learn real quick. This is not a time to spend a, a lot of time with adjectives and adverbs. There's very few adjectives and adverbs. It's, it's, not, it's not blunt to being malicious, but it's very direct. It's very direct. They don't have a lot of time in the class. We don't have a lot of time with them. Uh, and so you answer the question as directly as you can, but also being mindful that you're not trying to embarrass anyone, to insult anyone, or to cause anyone to turn away. But you can't let them walk out wondering, what did he really say? So that's helped me in other areas. And, uh, and it's, it's made a difference. I'd like to thank Mr. Danby for taking time out of his day to speak with me. And I again would like to reiterate how grateful I and all of TDOC is for the work he, New Life Behavior Ministries, and all of TDOC's volunteers statewide are conducting with our offender population. They all do phenomenal work. And as mentioned earlier, that work plays an important role in TDOC's rehabilitation and reentry efforts. We hope to speak with more volunteers and discuss more about the many volunteer programs available throughout TDOC, such as the Take One program, as well as the many religious and nonprofit organizations that we partner with, including the Tennessee Prison Outreach Ministries. So be sure to keep listening to this podcast for more stories along those lines. If you would like to learn more about volunteer opportunities and are interested in applying, you can find all the requirements and the application on our website at tn.gov correction. You're also encouraged to reach out to the warden and or chaplain at the facility nearest to you. Thank you for listening to this episode of TDOC's podcast, The Mission. Please share, like, comment, and subscribe. And don't forget to look us up and follow us on all your favorite social media platforms, including Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter.